following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Today is going to be part two of what is now a three-part sermon on the issue of decision-making. I made a different decision, so uh, it's practicing what I preach. Which means if you are here today, but you were not here last Sunday, you will need to go online and listen so that you understand the foundation on which I'm building today. I won't go back and repeat all of that. Also, it means if you're here and you're not going to be here next week, you will have to come back in order to hear uh, the next part because we're only going to go so far again uh, today and then we'll stop and try to finish it out next time. Again, also like last week, let me just remind you that I'm using uh, Gary Friesen's structure from his great book, Decision Making and the Will of God. So anything you hear today that sounds good, makes sense, assume it's his. Anything that doesn't, assume it's mine. We're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. This time we're only going to read verses 16 and 17, very familiar verses, and we will go to the Lord in prayer. Look what Paul says here in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come again and we need you. Like we just saying, we, we desperately need you to open our eyes and to help us understand you, to understand how you work in this world, how you work in our lives, what it means to, to be a believer, to be living and making decisions and trying to understand your will and living in a way that pleases you on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. So I pray this morning it would be another step in that process. Uh, Pray that you will take my words and use them. Uh, It's your word, your ideas, your truth we're trying to look at and understand. So please, Father, use it in us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So why did I go back now to the very same uh, passage of Scripture, the same verses that we looked at last Sunday? Well, it's because... I want us to begin this morning by remembering one of what I think is potentially you know, the more, one of the more life-changing comments that were made last week, not by me, it was actually from Friesen, but here in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul tells us that everything we need to know to live in a manner that pleases God is going to be found here in Scripture. It is Scripture that makes us complete and equipped for every good work. And when I say that everything we need is in Scripture, I do mean that, folks. I mean absolutely everything. And I asked you repeatedly last Sunday whether or not you really believed that statement. And I asked it because in my experience, for whatever that's worth, as I have talked to people and interacted on this topic, I find that most believers will say that, yes, they absolutely do believe that the scriptures are able to make them equipped for every good work, you know, make them complete. And yet I am not sure that everyone has really thought through that idea completely. And therefore, I'm not I'm not convinced that they really believe that. But I am telling you again this morning at the outset, it is true. Everything you need to know to live in a way that is going to please God, that's going to make him happy, that's going to make you complete and equipped for every good work, it is found in Scripture alone. And if we take that topic and we apply it to the topic of how we make decisions and how we go about, you know, just knowing the will of God, either generally or in some specific 
context, that truth should lead us to the conclusion that everything we need to know in order to make good decisions and to live our life in a way that pleases God and does his will is going to also then be found in Scripture alone. Friesen said it like this, 100% of what God wants us to know about believing and living to please him, he has already told us, 100%. And so we'd ask the question, well, where has he told us this? Well, the answer is in Scripture. Everything we need to know is found there. And this is the part that I'm not sure that every believer who says they believe that actually truly believes. And I'm not really blaming them for this because I feel like we've sort of been taught not to believe this. Some of you will be able to relate to this, uh, my own experience here in the churches that I grew up in. One of the things that was often said to young people, to the teenagers, but it was also just said generally to, to everyone as well, it's just been a general comment, is that one of your goals in the Christian life is to find the perfect will of God for your life. So it's that phrase, the perfect will of God, meaning you need to figure out in advance what God wants you to do with your life, what college he wants you to go to, and who he wants you to marry. And obviously for a teen who's kind of facing those issues, those are the next big decisions in life that are coming up for them. And so those are important things, and I get that. And what was communicated to us was that for each of those decisions, God had sort of one path that was his choice for us. And you had to find that path. And all the other paths weren't that right choice. And so your mission, your goal is to figure out what that right path is. So what does God want me to do with the rest of my life? Does he want me to be a doctor, an accountant, a missionary, a teacher? You know, what's that one thing that I'm supposed to figure out? i got to know this at 16 years old. Like, what? Like, how am I going to figure that out at 16? Uh, But that was what the goal was. Where does he want me to go to college? You know, I've got offers from five different schools, but, you know, how am I supposed to figure out which is the one school I'm supposed to go to and the other four aren't his will for my life? Or who should I marry? You know, is she the one or is she the one? You know, how will I know? All of this, as I said, when you're like 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and you don't know anything, right? And all these major things, you've got to figure out what God wants for you at this point. And then you go and ask people for help. Hey, what do you think? And they're like, well, I can't tell you what God's will for your life is, but you know, you need to figure that out so you can do it. Talk about angst, right? Just angst as you're trying to make those major decisions in life, because the Bible, let's be honest, it doesn't answer those questions. It doesn't tell you what you're supposed to do for a living for the rest of your life or where you're supposed to go to college or who you're supposed to marry. So how do you make such important decisions? Well, of course, first you begin to ask for signs, duh, right? We ask for a sign. So God, give me a sign, you know, let the next girl who walks into the classroom be the girl I'm supposed to marry. And then you open your eyes and it's the teacher coming in. You're like, not her. (laughs) Sorry, Lord, I need to be more. Let the next student who walks in the room be, and then you open your eyes again, like, you know, Lord, the next one. The next one, Lord, because that's how it actually worked, right, when you would ask for those kinds of things. It, you know, just being honest with you, it's, it's called looking for a fleece. It's referencing the Gideon story where, you know, Gideon wants a sign from God that he's supposed to do this thing. And so one morning the fleece is supposed to be dry and the ground's wet, and the next morning the fleece is supposed to be wet and the ground's dry. And we're the same. We want God to give us a sign, something I'm supposed to do, this or that, whatever. Or second, if you weren't looking for a sign, you're looking for God to speak to you in some way, speak to you. And for some people, they mean that literally. Like they want God to literally speak to them, to give them personal, specific, extra biblical revelation. And, you know, I'll just say this. I don't don't buy into that. I know some of you probably do. I don't, just letting you know where I stand. Um, But some people are wanting God to literally tell them what to do. Others, they don't actually mean that they want God to tell them, you know, 
verbatim, verbally what they're supposed to do, but they do mean that God is somehow supposed to reveal it to them in some other way. And this is where some of the calling language that is often used in American Christianity comes into play. God called me to go to this college or marry that person or whatever. Um, I'm not a big fan of that language either for reasons maybe we'll get into in the future here. And then if third, if all else fails, you just need peace about it. And I'm going to put that one in quotes and kind of hedge it a little bit because we'll come back next Sunday to this in a bit more detail. There's a piece of that that's true. No pun intended, piece of piece. Uh, There's a little bit of that that's true. But there's also a bit of that that sometimes simply means for someone that they're looking to placate or please their own emotions. And that's, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about biblical peace. So let's just make that very, very clear. So you've got a person who's like, you know, I really like her. I've got a peace about dating her. Until six months later, you see somebody else you want to date, and you're like, well, I don't have peace about that anymore. Now I've got peace about dating her. God called me to give her a call, and uh, he asked for a sign, and she walked in the door. So, you know, that was my education and how you understand and then go about making decisions and finding the will of God when I was go- growing up. God has this perfect will, and you've got to figure it out in advance or else he's going to be unhappy with you because there's only this one path that works, and all the other paths don't make him happy, and if I go down any of those other things, I'm going to be in trouble, so I use all these methods I just mentioned for figuring out what he wants me to do, and again, I would say, talk about angst, because what if you make the wrong decisions? What if you choose the wrong path? What if you go to the wrong path? What if you marry the wrong person, and then you have kids that were never supposed to be born because you were supposed to marry the other person? They were supposed to, you know, ah, like, This is the situation that we find ourselves in, and and I don't think I'm alone in talking about this. That's why I said that I don't think, I don't know how many, if I should say many or some or whatever, but I don't think every Christian really believes that everything, everything, I keep emphasizing it, everything that you need to know in order to live your life in a way that pleases God is found in Scripture alone. They believe that other process I just described or something else, perhaps. And I'm not just talking, by the way, about teenagers. I'm talking about adults. I'm talking about singles and young married couples and middle-aged couples and senior citizens. You name it. Many people function under that other system. They function under, they, they do not function under the belief that everything they need to know in order to live a life that fully pleases God is found in Scripture alone. Well, whether you believe that or not, um, it's true. It's true. Everything you need to know to live your life in a way that's going to fully please God is found in Scripture alone. And this was the first of four principles that Friesen gives us in his book. We call it the principle of obedience. Okay, that was what we talked about last Sunday, the principle of obedience. And if you want to you know, make good direct, uh, decisions in your life, you want to live your life uh, in a way that's going to please God, that's going to be in his will, Friesen's argument was that all you need to do is study God's word, know it, and obey it. That's the principle. Read it, study it, obey it. And I would remind you again that in many of your laps right now are 66 books printed in English, bound together of the written will of God for your life. So the next time you're wanting to say, I don't know God's will, I'm just going to like open your Bible and read. You'll find it there. And I can promise you, if you do that, you will be in the will of God. You say, well, Stacy, that's good and all. I agree with you. But what about all those other decisions? Because those aren't unimportant things that I just talked about, you know, like who you marry and where you're going to go to college and what you're going to do and, you know, many other decisions that you run into in life. 
what do you do about those kinds of decisions that aren't specifically addressed in Scripture? How do we go about making good decisions with those things? I'm so glad you asked because Friesen has three more principles to help us make good decisions and live in the will of God. Here is principle number two. We call it the principle of freedom. The principle of freedom. And the principle of freedom can be stated as follows, and I'm going to read it slowly because, and I I don't even mean this to be funny. For a few of you in this room, I think you're going to probably be shocked by the simplicity of this because you are so tied to that other system that I just described or one like it that this is going to be just weird for you, but here it is. Where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. That's the principle of freedom. Where there is no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. Friesen says this, quote, This principle asserts three things. Number one, there are some decisions which have multiple options, any number of which may be acceptable to God. Number two, the final decision made must not be in violation of God's moral will, talking about purpose or goals or attitudes, any of those things. And number three, God will not dictate to the believer what he must do. The individual is free to make decisions the decision. This is the principle of freedom. And you say, well, how do you know if that's true? Well, I have a real treat for us today, okay? You're going to remember today for the rest of your life. You're going to be, if any of you tweet, you're going to tweet it. It's going to go like across the world probably in the next five minutes because this morning I'm going to reveal a missing chapter of scripture to you. That's right. It's a missing chapter of scripture. It's the real Genesis 3. So what you think of today is Genesis 3 in your Bible. Just bump it over to Genesis 4. We're just moving everything over by one. And this is the one. I think what happened was Moses was going through the wilderness and a sheet fell out of his notebook, got covered by sand. I found it. Don't ask how. I'm going to read it to you because this is going to help us. This is the story of the first supper. Okay, the first. You've heard the last supper. This is the first supper. Here we go. Moses writes, Adam was hungry. He had had a long, challenging day naming animals. His afternoon nap had been refreshing, and his post-siesta introduction to Eve was exhilarating, to say the least. But as, as the sun began to set on their first day, Adam discovered that he had worked up an appetite. I think we should eat, he said to Eve. Let's call the evening meal supper. Oh, you're so decisive, Adam, Eve said. I like that in a man. I guess all the excitement of being created has made me hungry too. As they discussed how they should proceed, they decided that Adam would gather fruit from the garden and Eve would prepare it for their meal. Adam set about his task and soon returned with a basket full of ripe fruit. He gave it to Eve and went to soak his feet in the soothing current of the Pashan River until supper was ready. He had been reviewing the animals' names for about five minutes when he heard his wife's troubled voice, Adam, could you help me for a moment? What seems to be the problem, dear? I'm not sure which of these lovely fruits I should prepare for supper. I prayed for guidance from the Lord, but I'm not really sure what he wants me to do. I certainly don't want to miss his will on my very first decision. Would you go to the Lord and ask him what I should do about supper? Adam's hunger was intensifying, but he understood Eve's dilemma, so he uh, left her to go speak with the Lord. Shortly, he returned, and he appeared perplexed. Well, Eve asked, He didn't really answer your question. What do you mean? Didn't he say anything? Not much. He just repeated what he said earlier today during the garden tour. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. I assure you, Eve, I steered clear of the forbidden tree. 
I appreciate that, but that doesn't solve my problem, Eve said. What fruit should I prepare for tonight? From the rumbling in his stomach, Adam discovered that lions and tigers are not the only things that growl. So he said, I've never seen such crisp, juicy apples. I feel a sense of peace about them. Why don't you prepare them for supper? All right, Adam, I guess you've had more experience in making decisions than I have. I appreciate your servant leadership. I'll call you when supper's ready. Adam was only about halfway back to the river when he heard Eve's voice again. He jogged back to the clearing where she was working, but his anticipation evaporated when he saw her face. More problems, he asked. Adam, I just can't decide how I should fix these apples. I could slice them, dice them, mash them, bake them in a pie, a cobbler, fritters, or dumplings. I really want to be your helper, but I also want to be certain of the Lord's will on this decision. Would you be a dear and just go one more time to the Lord with my problem? Adam was not keen on bothering the Lord again, but after Eve said some very nice things about him, he agreed to go. When he returned, he said, I got the same answer as before. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Adam and Eve were both silent for a moment. Then with light in his eye, Adam said, You know, Eve, the Lord made that statement as though it fully answered my question. I'm sure he could have told us what to eat and how to eat it, but I think he's given us freedom to make those decisions. It was the same way with the animals today. He told me to name the animals, but he didn't whisper any names in my ear. Assigning those names was my responsibility. Eve was incredulous. Do you mean that we could have any of these fruits for supper? Eve said, are you telling me that I can't miss God's will in this decision? The only way you could do that is to pick some fruit from the forbidden tree, but none of these fruits are from that tree. Why, I suppose we are free to eat a little from each one of them. Adam snapped his fingers and exclaimed, say, that's a great idea. Let's have fruit salad for supper. And so they did. Wow, right? Thank you. Thank you. What a... What an amazing new section of scripture for us. In fact, verse 23 has become my life verse because it talked about apple fritters, and I always knew they'd be in heaven. I never knew they were in the garden, but sure enough, there they were, and I have peace about having that life verse now, so I'm good. Um, let's just stop for a minute and think about what this silly little story communicated here. You know, at creation, God reveal, revealed his will to Adam and Eve, right? He gave them certain things they were supposed to do or not do. For example, uh, they're supposed to be fruitful. They're supposed to multiply. They're supposed to fill the earth. Uh, they're supposed to subdue and have dominion over the earth and its creatures. They're supposed to name the animals. And they're supposed to enjoy all the fruits from the trees of the garden except one. There's only one that they can't eat at. And that was, to use Friesen's terminology that we looked at last Sunday, God's moral will for them. This is what they have to obey. If they can do these things, they're living their life in obedience. So when you bring that principle of obedience to bear on Adam and Eve, we can look at it and say, yes, they're in obedience. They, they have everything they need to know to make God happy right there. It's clearly laid out for them. Adam, in our story, he goes out then and he acts in that will. He, he makes choices in that will. He gets fruit from all these different trees, but not the bad one. Were his actions done in obedience? Absolutely. Uh, Eve then looks at the selection of fruits in front of her on the kitchen counter, and now she has to make a decision. Which one for dinner, right? What, what do I choose? And her concern in the silly illustration is that she doesn't want to make a bad decision. Even in this moment, she's trying to make her choice in a way that pleases God, and we would commend her, right, for that in that moment. She, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God, and so she asked Adam to go ask God, but God doesn't give an answer other than his very first command. You can eat freely of all the trees. 
just this one you can't have. They confirm they're in compliance. Adam decides the apples look good. Eve then is unsure how to uh, prepare them. The whole thing happens again. And then they come to this great epiphany and get ready for this. Maybe God doesn't care which fruit they eat and how they eat it. Now, I say it like that on purpose because I kind of want you to, like, almost be jarred with that idea that, what, God, maybe God doesn't care? Like, they can eat the apple or they can eat the grapes or they can eat the figs. Like, he doesn't, like, it's okay. Whichever choice they make, it's okay. And sure, maybe there'll be more in the will of God if they make apple fritters, but everything else is fine, too, because those clearly are the best. Maybe God doesn't care which one they pick. Or if I would say it in maybe a more um, positive way, I would say it like this. Maybe God has given them the freedom to make the choice. Maybe God has given them the responsibility to make that choice. And now they can't choose wrongly. They can pick any of them and all of their choices will be good and will be in the will of God because they are free. As long as they are living in obedience, which they were doing in the silly illustration, they're free. Free to choose any of the options, not having to agonize over, not having to wait for a sign or ask for God to speak to them or giving them a sense. As long as they're in that obedience, they are free. They cannot make a bad choice. You say, Stacy, I like how this sounds. I like where you're going with the idea, but you just made up Scripture. Do you actually have anything from Scripture that might back that up? That's a great question, and thankfully I do. I'll give you three biblical examples of the same principle. You can either turn there or just make a note of this and look at it later. It doesn't matter to me. But first, let's talk about the example of eating, okay? Since I used an illustration that had eating involved, why don't we think about eating a little bit uh, for a moment from a biblical perspective. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is dealing with the issue of eating. And, you know, for us, that's a strange subject, perhaps. But in Paul's day, it's kind of a big deal because you've got the Jews who are coming out of the law. where you have got all these dietary restrictions. And so there's things that they're sort of wrestling through, like, can I eat this? Is it okay? Is it not okay? Whatever. Then you've got Gentiles who are also wrestling with this, Gentile believers, I should say, because a lot of the, the meat and the food in Paul's day has been offered to idols. It's been sort of dedicated to them. And so they've got a conscience issue going on. And he's trying to help them process that, you know, conundrum. How do you deal with these sort of choices? How free are you? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'll just give you the core of his argument, though he'll elaborate on it more than I will today. We'll talk about some of that more next Sunday. But in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 25 to 27, Paul says this, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the grounds of conscience. So when you're in the meat market, and you're looking through the cases, if you see steak and you want some steak, you can have steak. You want the chicken? Okay, get the chicken. You want the lamb? Get the lamb. Okay, it doesn't matter. Eat whatever you want without asking any questions for conscience. Say, well, why would Paul say such? Why, why, despite all the issues that are surrounding this topic in Paul's day, can he make such a comment? Well, in verse 26, he says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the cows, the Lord's, the chicken was the Lord's, the, the sheep, it was the Lord's. Like, it's okay. You can eat. You can eat. Pork, even as that as well. Yes. Eat. And then he goes on in verse 27. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, in other words, if you want to go, if you get invited to dinner and you want to go, well, then go. Eat whatever is set before you. 
without raising any question on the ground of conscience. You want to go? Go. You want to eat? Eat. Just do it. You're free. You're free. And then he does address the issue of what if they tell you, hey, this was sacrificed to an idol? Well, he gets to that, and we'll come back to that a little bit more later on. But the core argument here is freedom. You're like, well, Stacey, eating, really? That's your best example? No, no, it's not. Let's try a second one. Let's talk about giving. I've never preached a sermon on giving. I should do one before I go. Just to mark it off my bucket list. Giving, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul writes, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, let's first note that giving is a command, okay? So if you're a believer and you know, you're going to live in obedience, the principle of obedience, you got to give, okay? You don't get an out on that one. But we're now talking about how much. Like Christians ask that question all the time. How much should I give? And, and you know, there's a fair amount of the church that subscribes to the uh, old word tithing when it comes to giving. And here, let me do this. Okay, there, I rolled my eyes for you all for two reasons. One, um, first of all, remember that the concept of tithing is in the law. And as we just spent, I don't know, like a year and a half learning in Galatians, the law is done. Okay, it's over, it's expired. So that, that's, that's past us now. But even beyond that, if it was still in play, I would simply remind you that, and you can check me if I'm wrong, if I understand the Old Testament correctly, if you're going to tithe according to what the law required, a good observant Jew, a Jewish family, had to give three tithes a year at three different feasts, plus an additional tithe once every three years. So if you're going to tithe, you better be prepared to write a check for 33% of your income today, okay? That's... That's actual biblical tithing if you're really wanting to go down the tithing route. But I have good news for you. You're not required to tithe. You're required to give, but when we ask the question how much, Paul says each one just has to give what he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly. Like you're like, I don't. Not not under compulsion is either external compulsion or internal compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver, and we're told if you read the rest of that section and the context around it, your giving is actually supposed to be um, in response to the grace of God given to you in Jesus Christ. So work that one out, okay, how much you should give at that point. Probably 100 or more, all right? It, it, it's not about the amount. Do you understand the point? He's showing there's freedom. You can just make a choice. Again, you're like, Stacy, giving, eating, this is the best you got. I'll give you a third one. I think it's the best of all. When we talk about marriage, now that's a big one, right? Because my life has never been changed by eating. My life has never been changed by giving, but my life has been changed by marriage. Sorry, ECPI, but that was the best decision I ever made. Uh, I always watch that commercial, and I'm like, really? That's the best decision you ever made? Okay. First Corinthians chapter 7. He's, he's dealing with marriage and issues of relationship all throughout this chapter. And at the end of the chapter, he gets to talking about widows. And, and in verse 39, he says about the widows, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. There's the two principles put together on a very important subject. As long as it's in the Lord, it's, 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 falling under the realm of what the scriptures teach about marriage, about what, who you can marry and what that person should be like and what you should be like. And, you know, as long as it's in the Lord, you're free. Marry whoever you want. You know, you see you got Sally, she's a widow now, and here's Joe and George, and they're, you know, godly men, and she's a godly woman, and she likes Joe more than, she can marry Joe, or she can marry George, it, whoever she wishes. 
only in the Lord. So what do you begin to see here? It's, it's this pattern of, of freedom within the confines of our obedience. Now, we're going to pause again here this morning and pick this up back pick this back up next week with the final two principles and hopefully put the whole package together. But I want you to recognize this morning that what I'm giving you today is freedom in decision-making. And I'm not giving it to you. I'm telling you that this is what I believe the scriptures teach us about decision-making, that if you are living in obedience to the revealed will of God for your life, i.e. the scriptures, then you are free to make choices inside of that will. So are you free to change jobs if you want to change a job? Well, here's what I would say. Assuming that you're living in obedience in terms of your actions, your goals, your purposes, you know, all the things we looked at last Sunday, and assuming you're living in light of the two principles we'll talk about next week, and that doesn't help you today, so come back next Sunday for that part, okay? And you're living in light of those as well, then yes, you're free. You're free to change jobs if you want to. You're free to not change jobs if you don't want to. You're free. You're free. Changing a job is not going to violate Scripture. It's not. Hopefully your goal and motivation is right and all those things. We'll talk about that again, but you're free. Here's another one. Are you free to move to another state if you want to move? Well, assuming you're living in obedience to the revealed Word of God, right? Your actions, goals, purposes, all that stuff's right, and assuming you're living in light of the two principles we'll see next week, then again, yes. You want to move? Move. You don't want to move? Don't move. Okay, you're free. You have freedom. Uh, you say, I want to, you know, I'm free to leave my spouse and go marry someone else who makes me more happy? No, 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 no. No, see what happened there is we crossed a different boundary, right? Now we, we violated the principle of obedience because God says no to that. That's adultery. So no freedom there. You have to obey and repent and probably some other stuff too. But, but basically what you can do with this is you can think of the principle of obedience as a boundary line. So think of it as a boundary line in your life. And as long as you are operating and living within that boundary, you're free. You're free to do pretty much whatever you want, again, in light of the principles next week. And by the way, you know, this wasn't something that um, Friesen's just like coming up with on his own, um, though he took a lot of flack just for that point right there by itself. To say that people can be free to operate and make choices within the will of God, that was like, you know, who would say such a crazy thing? But he's not the first one to say it. I always give credit to Luther for some reason for this quote, but it was actually Augustine who said it first. Love God and do what you will. That's Augustine's advice. Love God and do as you will. Why would he say that? Well, if you're loving God, according to 2 John chapter 1, verse 6, then you will be walking. You'll be living your everyday normal life according to his commandments. In other words, you'll be living in obedience. If you love God, if you really love God, you're going to be living in obedience. You're going to be pursuing obedience and trying to uh, submit yourself to whatever he says to you in Scripture. You will be doing that. And so, you know, if you're doing that, do what you will. Do what you will. Live your life in obedience and do as you will. And so as you go home today and you, you, you think about all of these things, I want to make two suggestions to you and then we will pray. First of all, and I suspect there will be a percentage in the room who will fall under this category. Um, for those of you in here who what I've said this morning sounds like crazy talk, because you're from a completely different background, a completely different mindset for understanding the things I, I, I've talked about this morning, will, will you just go home and think about it? 
Will you go home and just examine Scripture for yourself and see if what you assumed was the right way we make decisions and the right way we understand God's will, see if, if that matches Scripture or see if what I'm saying to you matches Scripture. It's in your lap. Go home, study it for yourself. Just think about it. Because I, I recognize that for some people, this kind of thinking can be like earth-shattering to them because they've just never processed even the idea of freedom in the Christian life within the boundaries of obedience, it's just, it can be mind-blowing. So just think about it if you fall in that category. And then for all of us, and I probably give this one more as a, a conscience issue on my own part, uh, out of my own fear, thinking worst-case scenario. If you're on the verge of making some major decision of life, will you not do it for one more week? Just hold off, please, one week. Because I was like picturing someone going home and be like, Stacy, you talked about obedience last week and freedom this week. And I'm like, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. No, wait, wait, wait. You might be free to do a lot of things, but there's some more that we need to bring to bear on this before we, we put it all together. So, so hold off for a week. Um, you are free, and there's truth in that statement, but we just got to get a little bit more. So, so give me a, one more Sunday, if you will. And Lord willing, Lord willing, that is what we'll do when we gather again next week. We'll try to bring this together. And so t- until then, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we uh, thank you for the freedom we have in Jesus. We thank you for the freedom that you have given us. You you have laid out your will for us, told us what it means to live a life that pleases you. And then you've given us the the freedom to be creative, to make choices, to use wisdom, to to think through options, to make plans even. All of these pieces are, I think, elements of what it means to be made in your image. And so I pray that we will not... uh, focus in on just one aspect of this discussion, and we will not forget all the components, but that we will try to put together a complete and biblical picture of what it means to to make decisions that honor you, that please you, so that we live our life in a way that doesn't require the angst that that so many have felt over the years. I, I just ask, Lord, that you will help us Help us to be as biblical as we can be in every aspect of life and to find our sufficiency, our completeness, and everything we need in your word. That's our request in Jesus' name.